0: Next week, we're going to start our new season, The Real Free Speech Threat, covering the growing criminalization of environmental protest around the world. It's our first big cross-border series, and it will include dozens of stories, both in the podcast and online. One thing we'll be looking at in that series is the media's role in enabling this trend. Before you can criminalize protest, you have to vilify the protesters. And to do that effectively, you need the media's help. Evlando Cooper at Media Matters reviewed media coverage of climate protests in the U.S. from May 30th, 2022 to July 31st, 2023, for a new study. He documented a trend that we've been seeing too. Not only has the U.S. media perpetuated the idea that climate protesters are uniquely disruptive and radical, But their general failure to cover anything about climate protest other than the disruption that they cause further perpetuates this thinking. Evlando's research found that while multiple national outlets have run stories about climate protesters being annoying and destructive, not a single broadcaster has run even one story on the fact that nearly half of the states in the U.S. have now passed laws criminalizing protest. That fact is both shocking and worrisome. We're going to get into all of that and more with Evlando after this quick break. I'm Amy Westervelt, and this is Drilled. I have never been a big white wine person, and especially not in the fall. But after becoming a member of First Leaf, I'm a convert. First Leaf knew exactly what types of whites to send me that felt familiar and delicious and would get me excited about trying something new. I love First Leaf because they make it easy to get personalized wine delivered on my schedule right to my door. Since I choose the day that my shipment comes, I'm never stressing out about missing a delivery and every selection is backed by First Leaf's 100% satisfaction guarantee. I love how I just have to answer a few questions and they just know what I'll like. No more zoning out in the store looking at a hundred different bottles and trying to pick the right one. Give your palate what it really wants with First Leaf. Go to tryfirstleaf.com drilled to sign up and you'll get your first six hand-curated bottles for just $44.95. That's T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F dot com slash drilled. Try firstleaf.com slash drilled. So I wanted to start by just asking you, what prompted you to start looking at how media was covering climate activism?
1: Yeah, so uh, I had been seeing these infrastructure laws, the steady march in state after state of the criminalization of protests generally and climate protests specifically. And so I wanted to see how the media was covering it. The problem was we knew that the media wasn't covering specifically the criminalization of climate protest. And so seeing this kind of global surge and climate activism, specifically around kind of provocative climate actions and civil disobedience, we thought that was a way that we could kind of get at understanding how media was covering climate protests generally, and to see if they were adding some context To these protests.
0: So, yeah, I know that just purely anecdotally, whenever I pitch a story that's related to protest, it's kind of a hard sell. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. what's really happening? Is it new? Nobody wants to cover a particular action because then it feels like you're just doing PR for the environmental organizations? What do outlets, when they do cover protests at all, what are the sorts of stories that you're seeing?
1: So the vast majority of the stories were kind of dry recitals of what happened. You know, first, there still wasn't even that much coverage of, I guess, these more controversial climate actions, right? So we have to put that in context. That... um, I think a lot of these actions are designed for kind of social media virility, but it's important um, for me to understand that social media is its own kind of activism. But I think there are also a lot of persuadables, older people, older voters um, who were trying to get on board with understanding the need for urgent climate action who still get most of their news from mainstream sources. So that's why we wanted to kind of focus on the kind of traditional um corporate news media environment and but all you would see really is just a dry recital of you know a specific action you didn't get any context about the urgency behind the action why the people were protesting and to me it it, it called to mind there have been a lot of really great justice movements that have employed controversial tactics and there are good faith disagreements within those movements themselves about which tactics to deploy. But I think a lot of those would have been much less successful if you people didn't really understand why they were protesting in the first place. And so the media presenting these climate activists as just disruptors, as nuisances, as knucklehead kids who don't really know what they're doing or, or why they're doing it, um, paved the way for me, which I think is a, a more dangerous trend, which is where you have an organization like Fox News, which covered the protests with way more than other um, mainstream news outlets and their coverage was full of derision climate denial and and mocking and even calls for violence against the protesters so i think you have a, a mainstream news environment that when they cover these protests they cover them as just the most basic kind of headline news rundowns these activists did this at this you know gallery or they protested this sports event there's no climate context there's no context about the escalating criminalization of their protests. There's no context about the violence being directed at them. And then you have an, uh, a network swooping in and filling that gap with these are bad people who are protesting a fake thing and they deserve whatever they have coming to them.
0: That's so interesting, just how much the vacuum creates. The ability to kind of um, do the Fox News style coverage and have it land too. But yeah, it's been very interesting to me to see how much the coverage focuses on, you know, how disruptive these kids are and like, like even, so the example that is top of mind to me right now is the, the recent um, New York Times piece where they, talked about the art protests and how Mm -hmm. they're costing museums money right (laughs) and and i like completely coincidentally i happened to be interviewing joanna altman smith the same day that that story came out right so like this is she's one of the people who protested at the national gallery they put Mm -hmm. um water soluble kids finger paint on the display case of a Degas statue in the National Gallery, so like not an incredible amount of damage, very easy to mm-hmm. clean up. You know, they read a manifesto and talked actually a lot about why they were doing this and and whatnot. And she she told me she's like I spent hours hours and hours talking to the reporter who wrote that piece about all of the reasons why like it was (laughs) worth the risk for us. And and by the way, this is someone who's facing a charge as a person who is conspiring against the United States.
1: Yes, it's insane.
0: Which is insane. She's facing 10 years in jail and half a million dollars in fines um, for this action. She has had her passport taken and none of that was in the story. (laughs) You know, like it's, there was nothing about um, the reason for the protest. There's nothing about the overwhelming weight of the charges compared to what the action itself actually cost. So anyway, it's just, it's really interesting because I feel like that kind of, framing really helps the criminalization of protests because it does it like makes all of these protesters seem like annoying mosquitoes right it's very dehumanizing was there anyone that you saw doing a good job of covering this and like did it tend to break down across sort of expected lines in terms of mainstream media versus smaller or more independent outlets
1: yeah well okay so on on the Broadcast side, note. I mean, they didn't they didn't cover it enough for it to even be meaningful. Um, on cable, not really either. I mean, it was, it was sparse coverage, and what it was it was kind of like you said, just a kind of dry recitation, no context. The newspapers provided a more nuanced picture. Um, the Washington Post published the most stories and this is just looking at print because I know there were some on like online specific articles that were really h- harsh against the climate protesters mm-hmm, and there mm-hmm. was someone that were that were really kind of um wonderfully defensive of their actions and you saw that kind of coexisting on the print side too which to me is problematic because you're sending mixed messages to your to your readers you know i know you're trying to present a kind of broad outlook on this but like you said any any article that doesn't include the context about The scale of the protest versus the scale of the response to me is not doing its job. So, but you did have a more nuanced picture among the print outlets. The New York Times published one or two decent pieces. So, I think the overall, I can't say though that there were very many standouts because among print, any standouts were kind of negated by harsh, chastising, or decontextualized articles that didn't present the whole picture. And I think part of what, what angers me about this is that a lot of these papers, and especially on cable news, CNN, NBC, present themselves as democracy defenders, right? But when it comes down to it, the people who are actually practicing democracy the in the, in the best tradition, civil disobedience on behalf of a righteous cause, right. they're these draconian... Um, responses to them, whether it's legally or through the police. You had uh, a forest defender murdered in Atlanta for protesting yeah. a police facility. And this doesn't get covered. It doesn't get contextualized. And so instead of being democracy defenders, while they're good on, you know, the kind of right wing uh, uh, Trump stuff, they are completely falling down to me on the people who pose the biggest threat to with the, the system which are climate activists, leftist protesters who are being demonized, dehumanized, as you mentioned, and being criminalized. And this gets no attention in this corporate media sphere.
0: Yeah. Did you look at all at whether there was any difference in how publications covered different types of activism, whether there's any difference in how they cover a climate protest versus Something that's more like general interest democracy kind of thing. I feel like I see a lot more annoyance with the climate protesters yeah. than I've seen with other types of protesters. And it's really interesting to me. I'm like, where is this coming from?
1: So we don't have a data point for this, but I can definitely say that there is no small measure of respectability politics at play
0: mm. with regards
1: to these specific protests, right? Because, you know, they they cover Earth Day, right? You know, it's not, well, it's not particularly great coverage, but Earth Day receives generally positive coverage, at least amongst the mainstream news. The youth climate protests for uh, a few years ago, right, were generally well received. You know, they're deemed to be, re- you know, proper way of protesting, you know, marching in the streets, holding signs. When it comes to anything slightly more subversive or, or direct, you do see a lot of this hand-wringing specifically with regards to climate. You know, you could argue that the the BLM protests were disruptive. They were loud. they They were aggressive. And, you know, they got their point across. But the media didn't cover them like they cover climate activists, right? Because rightfully so, criminal justice, demand for criminal justice and racial justice are deemed to be worthy causes, and they're... Protesters are given more leeway and how they agitate for those causes. But something about climate, where if it's not done in this very specific way, (laughs) this very kind of old school style protest, anything slightly provocative is really integrated. And it's viewed as illegitimate.
0: Yeah. You know, we did this episode, uh, Mary and I, when we were doing Hot Take, we, we did this episode maybe like two or three years ago, talking to Rev Yearwood about how... Like in the early days of the environmental movement, a lot of the environmental organizations were very specifically not wanting to engage in either class struggle or racial equity. And part of why they had created this whole separate environmental thing was to be like, we're not engaging with that, you know? <laughs> and, and now I feel like climate has become a broader movement and it has become more of a challenge to certain class and and racial problems as well and i wonder if like i don't know maybe it's just as simple as like hey it's a threat to capital
1: <laughs> i mean let's get to the core of it right i mean the core of the of the problem is that the media you know despite you know certain instances we're talking about uh, broadcast um and cable news right now they're they're kind they don't really do a great job on climate already right climate is not a top priority it's not covered like it needs to be. It's not providing the context and substance it needs to be. Right. Right. Outside of a few moments or in a few instances. So already climate isn't taken seriously enough by right. these corporate news outlets. Then on top of it, you add climate-driven protests, and then you add the climate-driven protests that are deemed disrespectful or, or illegitimate mm-hmm. because of of the form of protest. You know, you have this right. ready-made recipe. Um, to either ignore or, or distort what the protests are. And then you add on the threat that they pose to uh, vested interests like the fossil fuel industry, because mm-hmm. all of the demands are to you know, immediately transition away from a fossil fuel economy in order to thwart climate change. You got to yeah. add that messaging in as well. I mean, it's just it's a perfect recipe for poor, poor coverage
0: yeah have you gotten any sense in in looking at um all of the coverage that that may part of it too is the way that controversy sells having a bad guy always kind of you know brings people into a story there's just that kind of framing happening too to make the story more interesting
1: i mean definitely on a i mean that's that's the thing right mm-hmm. on a fox side definitely you know However, you feel about these protests, they are designed to get media attention. And they do get a lot of social media attention. I thought they would be getting a lot more attention on broadcast and cable news, but they didn't. Which is why Fox saw a ready made villain for their audience and they seized it. You know, they seized that narrative and they hammered it home time and again. What you got from the from mainstream corporate news was basically indifference. Yeah. Which to me, you know, yeah. So it's weird you have protests designed to grab media attention, and it, it got mostly indifference from the from the main from the ma- mainstream media sources. But Fox yeah. definitely saw that narrative that you pointed out of a, of a ready made villain. I think you know you were talking about the weird tenor of the coverage around the protests. But yeah. yeah, another weird thing for me, which I would have at least captured in some of the methodology, right? Is yeah, the media's complete lack of concern for the surveillance capitalism state that yep. is literally being built around us in the shadows. And you don't hear about it at all. And it, to me, more so than even protests; it's, it's a direct threat to how journalists can do their job. Totally, yes. Yeah.
0: It's really interesting. And and I wanted to ask you too about the, um, I know I've seen several stories in this vein, and I'm curious if you saw this emerging as sort of a thread, but I do see coverage of like, who's funding these activists and not, not just in the Fox news, you know, Soros checks kind of way, but like, you know, the New York, again, the New York times, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) sorry, New York times, but they, they ran ran a story, I don't know, maybe two years ago where the focal point was that like a lot of the organizations that are funding activism, their money comes from oil heirs basically. Yes. Yes. Uh, Yes. But it was very much in this like Soros checks kind of framing. And again, there wasn't much in there about why the individual people showing up to these actions felt compelled to be doing this work. And the idea that someone would be engaging in activism as their job is like really vilified in the media. Like that automatically means you're not credible, Mm -hmm. you're highest or whatever, like you're a paid actor, that kind of thing. And I mean, I don't know, I'm like, (laughs) people have to eat and pay rent. I don't think it's terrible for someone to devote their life to something that they actually feel strongly about. You know, that's usually applauded in many areas of society. So yeah, I'm just, I'm curious what you've seen on the coverage of the money side of things
1: yeah I, I I remember reading that article, and they seem more upset that uh, she was a class trader than you know than anything right I mean you know i I think transparency and funding of journalists can dig into that stuff and, and and highlight it. I think it informs public discourse, but you know it's very yeah. one-sided yeah. because Alec is pushing a lot of these infrastructure laws and the fossil fuel industry is behind them. It's funding them to push these the criminalization of of protest, domestic terrorism, all this kind of draconian stuff. But you never hear about this industry who's being greenwashed in the mainstream media on the backhand, uh pushing laws that would that literally undermine democratically protected protests. So yeah. um yeah, if you want to cover the money trail, cover it for for both sides. And I think you'll find much mm-hmm. deeper pockets on the fossil fuel end. Than you will on a few rich progressives funding some climate activist groups.
0: Yeah, I can't think of a single mainstream outlet that I've seen even cover the critical infrastructure laws, which like seems like a pretty big deal. HuffPost has covered it. The Intercept, Unicorn yes. Riot, you know these kinds of outlets. The Guardian has covered it. That seems like it would make for really good TV. That story, right. you know. I-
1: I always think like the, the journalists, work, print and online journalists, work so hard. These stories are already pre-packaged, right? So building a news segment around it to me doesn't seem like that big of a stretch because most of the work's been done. But you, yeah. you still don't see it. Like and that, then, I don't yeah, because
0: it. it's been very well documented that the fossil fuel industry funded that work. The American Fuel and Petrochemicals helped to write the legislation. I mean, it's
1: literally. <laughs> you know?
0: It's all there. (laughs) In some ways, you know, like we're doing this series and some of the stories I'm kind of like, isn't that old news? But I'm like, well, it hasn't actually really broken through somehow to people that this is happening. And I also feel like actually um, it has bipartisan appeal. When I talk to people who are otherwise fairly right wing about, and I don't even tell them that it's related to climate protest in particular. I just right, right criminalization of protest, they're like, that's not right. You know, like, what? Yeah. That should be happening, you know? So I don't, I don't know. It's very strange.
1: I mean, there are people in my life who, you know, who I love, and who, but who get their news primarily from kind of the main corporate. They don't get much of their news from online news sources or independent news sources. And yeah, they don't, you know, every time I publish something or share something with them, they have no idea that this stuff is going on. Yeah. I mean, no idea. And to me, that's a complete dereliction of of, of duty.
0: Yes, especially when you're talking about laws that criminalize sort of a key part of democracy in this way. I just, it's really shocking that it's not everywhere. In general, I feel like the we just are so far away from the media kind of taking any responsibility for this stuff.
1: I mean, I guess it wouldn't matter as much if so many voting age people still didn't primarily get their news from one of yeah. these mainstream news sources. And yeah. I think these are these are people that we need to reach in order to actually drive climate action, to put pressure on politicians and policymakers. And, you know, I think that's why it's so important and if they're not hearing about any of this stuff. Yeah. It's, it's just only going to get worse.
0: Yeah. Is there anything that you found in the study that we didn't talk about already that you want to make sure um, people know about? I
1: think the media, they think that if they mention climate change or connected to an extreme weather event, you know, that that is an improvement. But this is what should have been happening 10, 20 years ago. Right. What they don't understand is that they have to rapidly improve their coverage to catch up to where we are now. We're way mm-hmm. past just mentioning climate change and being like, hooray, you. You mentioned climate. I mean, thank you for doing it. Again, keep doing it. Yes. But but you have to like rapidly scale up um, the the quality of your coverage. And I just don't, I I think they're still caught up in, well, we were mentioning climate, we're saying extreme weather. But we're way past that. And they need to really, and and the more people, more groups can agitate for that kind of rapid improvement. Yes. shame, Shame them, I think, the better.